Burke's on his feet. He looks up and gives me a grin and says, Hey, dude, you too must be from Marin. Marin County's A-OK from Tamastin and all the way to M.A. Fresh organic veggies in the market every day. Welcome to the Run TMC podcast. That is the Run the Marin County podcast, a podcast about basketball in Marin County. I'm Duffy Ballard, and here is Coach Dave Levine. This is episode 11, lucky 11. How is it going, Dave? Yo, Lev. Duffy, it's great. It's nice to see you. We're in the same location. We're in your kitchen, a new one. So Mm -hmm. we, we typically record in your house, but we're now in a new spot. Um, everything's going great. We have iced coffee fans. So I know we were, we were missing our iced coffee last episode. I'm going to tinkle a little bit, Dave. We are ever itinerant searching for the perfect studio. True. Nomads. But we've got the perfect iced coffee. We're peripatetic. Uh, by the way, I thought of you, Duff, uh, with the rain recently, uh, Mm -hmm. some petrichor. Mm. I felt the petrichor. Petrichor, but you smelled it. Yeah, it, 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 you have the, it's it's an essence, it's really. You can feel it and you can smell it. I felt yeah. it. Um, yeah, so this is a great episode. Awesome discussion with Rick Winter, which we'll get to. But first, I wanted to hit on a few uh, exciting developments just in Marin Hoops, an update. Uh, we're now getting into games. This is a fun week for high school. Um, most high schools have had two scrimmages. They're permitted two scrimmages. We, our San Domenico girls had a great productive scrimmage this weekend versus Pinole Valley. Uh, Pinole Valley, by the way, Duff, amazing gym. It's like a college gym over in Pinole, but we had a really good, uh, good scrimmage with them. Very competitive, energetic. It was awesome. And I know you guys, your Archie Williams boys had a scrimmage against Cardinal Newman, right? Yeah, we were up at Cardinal Newman. Uh, we had a, a, a good five quarter scrimmage, did some good stuff. And uh, we have a foundation game tomorrow night, Dave. So yeah, that I was just going to say, can you tell us about, so this, these are, they're all happening this week. Go ahead and tell us about foundation games. What are they? Yeah. And thank you, Kenya, for walking right over my foot right there. She stepped on both my feet in the process of uh, going underneath the table. Yeah, so I actually did not really understand what these were until recently, Dave, but these are uh, called foundation games because they uh, help to fund the NCS slash CIF Scholarship Foundation. Uh, and they end up giving away 50% of the share of the revenues from gate receipts for these foundation games to scholar athletes across all sports. So these are games that are played on the Tuesday of Thanksgiving week and they are hosted and there is a set charge for those that are attending. Uh, and as I said, a portion of the proceeds go towards scholarships and these games do not count. So these are not on the official 26 game limit and they do not count towards NCS or other postseason play. Now, Duffy, if I recall, your daughter Haley, I believe received one of these scholarships, is that? Is she that did right? last year. <clears throat> Haley, who is a first year at Williams College last year, she did receive one of these. Thank you to Mark and Mary Churchill at San Domenico in the track and cross country department for putting her name forward. Nice. And I'm glad I just slipped that in so that if Haley ever listens to this podcast, which I think the odds are still, you know, less than 1%, Dave, she maybe will listen to this episode. There you go. Um, But yeah, foundation games are great. Um, 
a lot of fun. So Tuesday around the county, you'll be seeing teams playing. And yeah, again, they don't count toward the record, but uniforms, referees, fans, the whole nine yards, it's just they don't count towards your record. Um, cool. So Duff, I wanted to give a quick update on recruiting in case folks haven't heard. We had a few uh, exciting developments around the county. First, one you that's... You should, Dave. You should. I, I would say go ahead. Thank you, Duffy. You have three. Three announcements today. Three announcements. Okay, good. Uh, one that's close to home for me is Carly Amborn, uh, junior guard, plays for me at San Domenico, has verbally committed to play hoops for Tara Vanderveer at Stanford University uh, in two years when she is done with high school. That's just, that's a huge deal. Um, I think everyone knows Stanford women's basketball is a... Um, is no small uh, competitor, uh, perennially in the top 10, have won three national titles. You can't sign a national letter of intent until your senior year, Duff. But um, So Carly has not signed anything, but she's made a verbal commitment to go play at Stanford. Uh, she had several D1 offers, but she chose the Cardinal. Um, and I'm just super proud of her. Couldn't happen to a nicer, more hardworking kid. I'm excited for the next two years that we have to work together, but uh, very proud of her. Yep. So congrats, Carly. Dave, Dave. That program has been in decline ever since they lost a very valuable player coach. But nonetheless, true, that true. is still an amazing accomplishment. So congratulations, Carly and Pam and family. Very true. Yes, listeners, I was a practice player for them back before there was you know, electricity and indoor plumbing. Um, but I think the program has survived without me, Duff. Okay, next one. Very happy for Joaquin Aguilon from Branson. He has committed to play Division Three hoops at McAllister College in Minnesota, which is a great school with a really good hoops program. They have some awesome scorers on that team. Uh, so this is just fantastic news and congrats to Joaquin. He is super talented. I've seen him play for the last couple of years. Um, on obviously, we've talked a lot about how Branson, very deep, talented team. Joaquin is a big part of that. So congrats, Joaquin and Branson. And then finally, this one was from a couple months ago, but uh, wanted to mention it, Maddie Dayton star senior guard for Ashley Sia's Marine Catholic team, has committed to play next year at Wesleyan University in Connecticut, Division Three as well, great school. Maddie is a fantastic player. She works super hard. I've, I've seen her um, working out with Stevie Johnson and other trainers a lot. Um, she's gonna be a force in the MCAL this season and very excited for her to play at Wesleyan. Very cool. Yeah, I think this is a good episode to have some recruiting uh, announcements, Dave, because Rick Winter talks quite a bit about recruiting and he has been successful as a coach and also as a program uh, director getting kids to play at the next level. Uh, and you know, I think coaches, once you get up to the high school level, we have to be looking at that and trying to, 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 to discern early on which players have that potential and how we can best help them get to where they want to go. Absolutely. And, and if there are other commitments out there uh, let us know. Shoot us an email at theruntmcpodcast at gmail.com and we'll give them a shout out. Um, just super proud of the Marin County kids who are playing basketball at the next level. So, Duff, what else, what else you got today? Uh, I've got some loose ends uh, that I want to cover. Uh, so podcast uh, logistics, news and notes. So we are going back to our regular uh, podcast release schedule, Dave. So we will be releasing on Tuesdays, usually by midday. Uh, on a weekly basis. And every once in a while, we might throw a surprise interview uh, out there as a bonus. Uh, so you might get lucky week to week, but every it's going to be every week. We still do have quite a few interviews that are uh, in the bank. And as we get into December, 
some of the timeliness of some of the content of those interviews may not uh, be quite on point. For example, even today's episode with Rick Winter was uh, recorded on October 31st, back when I believe the Warriors were six and two. Yeah, they were they were looking good. So anyway, uh, yeah, there is some conversation about that uh, particular uh, Warriors point in the season, which now looks quite a bit different, I would say. Yeah. But we'll get out of it. Uh, anyway, we're not talking so much about the Warriors today. We have some other good content, Dave, and uh, the other uh, loose ends. We've heard from quite a few people uh, with suggestions as to people that we could interview. And with the caveat that we kind of are kind of backed up with our interview schedule already, we definitely would love to hear from people that have coached or played in Marin uh, that have a perspective that they would like to talk about and feel like would be interesting to our listeners. So please reach out to us at therun.tmcpodcast at gmail.com or via the Instagram or at our web- website. And let us know if you are someone who you know, is interested in talking about being on as a guest. We, we certainly do not want to discriminate against anyone in our large basketball family here in Marin County. And thanks to the correspondents. We've been receiving some updates from correspondents who are tracking different programs for us, and we still are looking for more. So if you are close to a program, if you're a player, if you're a coach, if you're a parent and you're following a program, men's or women's, boys or girls in Marin, uh, let us know. Yeah, I think what we might do, Dave, is we've received some, uh, several recordings, including Johnny Kearns has sent us a yeah. couple about Terralina, which is awesome, yeah. has a great interview with Coach Baker, and we might just throw a bunch of those together in a single episode one of these days and just you know, send something out, you know, notes from our correspondents. Great idea. And Duff, you want to hit on t-shirts? Oh, yes, please. Yeah, so correspondents, please send in, uh, keep sending us good material. Uh, so t-shirts we have also heard from quite a few people they think our t-shirts are uh, pretty dope I would agree and they have a nice synthetic blend which is very soft Uh, so if you are interested in a t-shirt please reach out via the same means and let us know we'll put you on the list we did just get a shipment we have quite a few of those that are sort of already allocated but if you'd like one let us know excellent Uh, we're back with our glossary this week Duff can I go first I think you always get to go first. So. Well, that's true. I bat lead off and then you come in and correct all my mistakes. But um, So the glossary term this week is not, uh, is not uncommon. It's horns action, um, which is an offensive framework that I, I bet a lot of our listeners have heard of. You definitely have seen it. Uh, horns is an offensive framework that just simply involves two post players setting up a few steps outside the elbows in what we call the slot. So kind of if the the two ends of the, the lane lines of the, of the key were to continue on to half court, kind of think like along those, those lines. Uh, so they're set up there, and the point guard can choose either side to use a screen from a post player. Uh, typically, the screener then rolls to the basket, and the opposite post pops to the three-point line, so you set up a potential high-low entry. Horns is a great way to just kind of initiate your offense, and particularly if you're getting a lot of pressure on your point guard, uh, using those those screens on either side is a helpful way to relieve some of that pressure. Um, and another common action off horns involves the point guard uh, using one of the or either passing to one of the posts instead of using a screen, and then maybe receiving a flare screen from the other post to set up a three. But uh, horns is very very common action, Duff. Especially good if you have a uh, someone with the ball who's pretty elusive can go uh, either direction, 
and I've seen it set up where you have your bigs down on the baseline on the blocks and then you have guards come down and set you know, off ball screens for the bigs and the bigs come up for the horn actions. Yep. And sometimes as they're coming up and the defense is waiting for them to settle, that point guard just kind of just makes an initial move and then he's got a couple people down right. under, underneath the basket that uh, may be open for uh, a quick bunny. So yeah, horns is, is good action. I would say I'm not the type of player at this point in my life that you should run horns for because it's way too crowded because I think you know, yeah. you, now you do have a couple <laughs> defenders there. So unless if you're not quick and elusive, you could get caught up you know, in a big jumble of you know, human, you know, human beings that uh, might strip the ball from you or otherwise cause you basketball harm. Well, where are you normally, like Duff, back in our day, we would have three out, two in offenses Kind of this is more of a modern version of that, right? Yeah. When you have if you have two post players with size, that's a great way to initiate your offense using instead of just doing a traditional five out, right? Yeah. So anyway, what do you got today for our glossary duff? Uh from horns to something completely different. Great. Uh, and this we have mentioned briefly on the podcast, but I want to do a bit of a deeper dive. And for those players that I may have coached in the past, and uh, certainly the parents of those players I've coached in the past, this will be familiar and it is the concept of basketballism so we're not talking about nationalism or communism or pacifism rather basketballism and uh, it is a philosophy of life that is based on the principles and attributes of the sport of basketball and this is not my idea it came from a book by an author by the name of david hollander who maybe someday we'll have on the podcast uh, and the book is called how basketball can save the world and David Hollander has espoused the principles of basketball as a means of spreading justice. And oh, here, Dave, there's another dog walking up the driveway. Oh, this that's... one belongs to the neighbors. Um, anyway, so uh, basketballism is a way to spread good aspects, beneficial aspects of humanity, such as equality uh, across the globe. It's a great book. Uh, we mentioned this, I think, in the couple episodes, definitely in the Tom Poser, John Granucci episode two. Um, it's just, it's a really good read. It makes you appreciate some of the, the finer aspects of basketball and what makes it unique, Duff. Yep. And one of the concepts is cooperation, which is actually, you know, good not only in basketball, but in many other aspects of human life and society and uh, what Hollander calls human alchemy. So this is not just chemistry this is just not chemical reactions this is actually making is the transformation of matter it's making gold from lead for example human alchemy and that's what that's what really good basketball is all about and that is basketballism and the reason we chose this week to talk about basketballism is that there's a major holiday coming up in a couple days and that holiday is not only about having turkey and pie and a lot of serotonin and watching a lot of football. It's also, as we know, about giving thanks. And I know I like to spend my Thanksgiving morning sending notes to people uh, that are friends and family appreciating them. I know my, many other people do that. So, Dave, why don't we just spend a, a moment to each give thanks to certain aspects of the game of basketball? Yeah. You can start. Uh, the thing I love about the game of basketball is it is uh, it's constant, it's fluid, it's ever moving, um, just like life, Duff. We don't know what each day is going to present to us, um, and basketball is a sport where you're playing offense and defense essentially at the same time, 
you have five people on the court working together, improvising, teamwork. Um, so I just, I've always been drawn to the sport for that reason. I love all sports. I love football. I love baseball. I love golf, tennis, everything. But basketball was unique in that you've got the same set of people playing offense and defense at the same time in really quick transitions. Even soccer, the same thing, but on a much bigger scale, right? Much bigger space. Basketball is a more yeah. confined space. So I just, I love the fluid, ever moving nature of it. Yeah. And there are no positions. I mean, in good and well-played basketball, right. It's not like you have a goalie or a catcher or a pitcher. They're really, everyone is playing every position if you're playing basketball at the level that it should be. And uh, Dave, I, I think we can agree that it is also portable and equitable. It can be played outdoors. It can be played in urban areas. It can be played out in the country. You can go shoot, shoot around, play three on three out at a barn in the country, or you can play in the blacktop on West Worth in Manhattan. Uh, and people from all sorts of backgrounds can play and it can connect people. I have played basketball all, all around the world and made friends from basketball all, all around the world. And I know I'm not, not alone um, in, in having that as a background that has been formed by the sport. Uh, one last thing, Dave. Yeah. It uh, became the, a woman's sport shortly after it was invented. So it was one of the quickest sports to make the transition from being a men's sport to a co-ed sport. Love it. It's great. And last thing I'll say on this point, Duff, I'm thankful for with basketball is friendships like the one you and I have. A lot of our, a lot of our community friends uh, come from basketball. And without this sport, um, you know, my life would be a lot different and I think much less rich and full. So I really appreciate this game. Um, and that's why doing this podcast with you is a lot of fun to celebrate it. Yeah, the, the sport would not be so much fun without the people involved in it. Well said. Yeah. You need people to play basketball. You need people. All right. Uh, awesome. Okay, let's move on to sponsors. Duff. What time is it? Sponsor, Sponsor time. time. I'm, not, right. I'm, I'm not going to say the time on the clock. <laughs> I learned my lesson. Uh, Duff, we have a new sponsor. Why don't you talk about them? They're awesome. Right. Yeah, we talked about them a little bit in the last episode, but now we have their formal copy, and we'll be putting them up on the website. Um, and this is Jesse and Laurent. Uh, Jesse and Laurent is a gourmet, ready-to-eat meal delivery service facilitating family meals throughout the Bay Area, Sacramento, and North Tahoe region. We've been feeding families for more than 40 years with our delicious and healthy <clears throat> heat and serve meals. I can't believe I've never heard of them before. 40 years? Uh, you simply heat and serve the pre-made meals. We deliver right to your doorstep. That's true. They do. Um, are you going to Tahoe for the holidays? Schedule your meal delivery for your cabin ahead of time. Jesse and Laurent delivers to the North Tahoe region. Enjoy more, enjoy more time with your family friends while enjoying delicious food. We have holiday meals ready to order on our website. No meal planning or prep needed. Visit www.jessieandlaurent.com. That is www.jessieandlaurent. That's L-A-U-R-E-N-T.com for more information or set up or to set up a meal delivery. And... Uh, Additionally, Dave, there is a bonus offer. Wow. First time we've had a bonus offer. If they use the code TMC20, they get what? $20 off your first order. TMC20 for, for $20 off. That's clever. Pretty cool. Yeah, Jesse and Laurent's awesome. Food's great. Support them. Um, next up, we have NBBA, which is fitting because our friend Rick Winter, uh, Rick Winter, who founded NBBA and runs it, is our guest today. Uh, NBBA is your premier destination for youth basketball in the North Bay. 
dedicated to helping young athletes achieve their full potential on and off the court. Experienced coaches provide top-notch coaching and training, focusing on skill development, teamwork, and sportsmanship. Uh, we have a few upcoming highlights from NBBA. First, there is a free clinic for girls on December 10th at Terra Linda in the main gym, the new gym, from 12.30 to 1.30. Caden Korsh, KK, episode three guest, great coach. Uh, Zach Borello, the Redwood Girls varsity coach, um, awesome guy and an awesome coach. And then another great guy and an awesome coach, Tony Butler, who's the San Marin Girls varsity coach, uh, will be running this clinic. In addition to Duffy, a guy named Dave Levine, but you know, I'm the worst one of the, of the bunch, but I'll be there as well. Uh, hope that's not a deterrent for our listeners. So girls free clinic, December 10th at Terra Linda, 1230 to 130. Also there's girls and boys winter camps from January 2nd to 5th, grades three through eight at Archie Williams from 9am to 3pm with Archie Williams varsity boys coach and episode 10 guest and our friend Russell Bauer. And then there's another camp at Redwood, 9 to 3 p.m. with phenomenal Redwood Boys varsity coach Jay DeMaestri, great coach and a great guy, uh, also from 9 to 3. So um, go to the NorthBayBasketball.com website. Um, oh, I, sorry, I forgot one more. Grades K through 2, 9 a.m. to 12 p.m. with Ramon Huff and John Ratchin at Hamilton Community Gym. So go to the NBBA website for all these special winter events. A lot of events, yeah. A, a number, a handful of the Archie Williams varsity players are, will be helping out at those camps at Archie Williams, and these, uh, including the guy we sometimes call Coach Devin Devin Moss, is uh, he's only a sophomore, but he's got he's got the playbook, you know, memorized and then some. Love it. So yeah, good kid. Awesome. So good stuff. Good. Um, Good content. We would also like to thank our other sponsors, uh, ongoing sponsor sponsorship from the uh, San Domenico Nike Summer Camps, uh, as well as Karen Hortzmeyer uh, Real Estate. And we hope, and of course, right, I had Hub Brain. Yes, of course. Uh, we, we gave the Hub a lot of, a lot of love on the, the last episode. So uh, anyway, yeah, thank you to all our sponsors. Uh, we really appreciate uh, your support. And uh, I think, Dave, we can probably move on to the good stuff. Let's get to our guests. So real, real quick, I'm not going to spend a lot of time introducing Rick because we do it in the, in the interview. This was a great discussion. Um, I just I encourage our listeners to, to give it a listen. Um, and we'll, uh, we can give your, our perspective on it after in, including some player control stuff. Um, you know, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll get to this in player control. But... No, no, no. You, you get to it in player control. Okay. People who, who use zones, we'll talk after. We had a nice little debate about zones. It was fun. Okay, let's do it. All right, let's go to Dave, uh, Dave and Rick. Here we go. All right, Rick Winner, thank you for joining us, Rick. Glad to be here. Thanks for having me. Awesome to see you. So uh, we're very excited to have Coach Rick Winner with us. So Rick has had a, a huge impact on basketball, really on the national level, um, and he's been a massive force in growing the game in Marin County for, for many decades and the North Bay and beyond. So uh, we're very excited to have him. Uh, Rick has been a very successful high school coach. We're going to talk about his, his coaching career. Uh, but then after he stepped away from coaching, he has been a very successful entrepreneur and building a, a really fantastic business around youth and high school basketball with, with NBBA. So we'll get into that. But Rick, let's walk down a quick memory lane for you. Grew up in Anaheim, Orange County. Yep. 
Okay, we'll talk, we'll try to limit our Laker discussion, but we can talk about that briefly. Uh, played high school ball at Western High School, and then went to University of Laverne, which is a D three school. Rick yep, in the Skyac. Okay, in the Skyac. Yep, same as Pomona and Caltech and all those schools. Claremont. Correct. Um, in kind of East LA, is that? Would you call that Inland Empire? Is that Inland Empire? For those Bill and Ted fans, it's right next to San Dimas. Sweet, San Dimas High School. Uh, Rick played freshman and sophomore years at Laverne, but then he had a bad injury, torn ligaments, and that kind of ended his playing career uh, and began his coaching career. And so we'll, we'll get into that. Uh, Rick then coached high school hoops for 20 years. He was at Damien High School in Laverne from 1990 to 1995, won a bunch of games, and then he moved up to Marin and took the helm at Marin Catholic and coached there for 15 years, from 95 to 2010. Uh, Rick won 345 games as a high school coach, 345 and 199, career record, very impressive. At MC, he won six MCAL championships, four in a row from 02 to 05. I don't think Honick was very happy about that, Rick. <laughs> uh, he won three NCS championships. They made it to two NorCal finals, a game away from state. So very impressive, but uh, equally as impressive as his coaching record is Rick's ability to develop players. And I want to spend a lot of our time talking about that. Rick had 18 of his high school players go on to have careers at the collegiate level, including nine Division I players. So um, he's someone who not only won games as a coach, but he developed talent, and we want to talk about that. So in 2010, um, Rick stepped away from coaching Marine Catholic and began North Bay Basketball Academy, or, North, or NBBA. Uh, NBBA is a very successful club basketball program, providing skills training and club you know, AAU hoops for kids in Marin and have expanded into the North Bay. Um, as we talked about, he's helped grow the game in this county and we really appreciate what he does for, for all of our kids here. And just like we had our discussion with Chris Boward and Chris took his passion for basketball and coupled that with his abilities as a writer and communicator to become a really successful journalist. You know, Rick has taken his love of basketball, his knowledge of basketball and coupled that with his ability as an entrepreneur and a businessman to build a really great business. So we wanna talk about that. Um, Rick is married. He has two sons, Brock and Kyle. Both are great guys. They work at NBBA with him. Um, excellent coaches in their own right. So, Rick, thanks for joining us. Thank you. So, um, let's talk about developing talent. I want to jump right into um, to that because it's just it jumped out at me when we were kind of trading text messages with your background and 18 college players. So, you developed a lot of players um, into Division one players, talk about developing a player versus coaching a team. How did you strike that balance? <clears throat> yeah, so uh, I have two, two main mentors. One guy's named Mark Track. He was my coach my sophomore year at Western High School. He then left and started up the Braille Linda Girls program and built a dynasty. He was a women's coach at USC, New Mexico State for years. Um, he's the one that really focused on individual development when I was a player. Yeah. And then Mike LeDuc, he is now the coach at Damien. He was actually the coach at Damien until 1980, then left, hmm. went to Glendora High School, coached guys like Tracy Murray, uh, Tracy Murray Casey Jacobson, Adam Jacobson, Cameron Murray, who played at Louis. I mean, they, these yeah. are all, that's the league I coached in. Um, very high level, high powered league. He's, he's my real mentor. And his summer program was nothing about team. It was all focused on individual development. 
And so I brought that philosophy with me to Damien and then also to Marin Catholic. Hmm. So in the summer, we did very few team concept stuff. Uh, and my teams practiced 6.30 a.m. in the summer three times a week because then we had Camp of Champions after. And so almost all my kids would come to practice, worked it out with Ken Peralta, football coach, or Scott Morrison, who was a football coach before him, and they would go to football after. And the kids would play both. And so then in those 6.30 workouts, it's individual development. Hmm. And then in 2002, 2003, uh, Phil Handy, who is now an assistant coach of the Lakers, got his start in my gym. His first client was Michael Turner. And so Phil came in, before you know it, here are all these kids from all over the Bay coming to work out with Phil. And my teams, I used to open the gym at 6.30 every morning to, before school, before class. I also taught APUS history. Yeah. Um, that's my other passion. And so uh, my team would come in before school. I'm not allowed to work them out, but sometimes Phil would be there or Phil would do a workout earlier in the week, on the weekend. And then Michael Turner's putting the kids through the workout. Or two years later, you know, Ryan Metner's helping put the kids through the workout. Or in 2010, Brock Winter is putting these kids through the, like, yeah. it's all fundamentals and skills. And then I also think it's a coach's responsibility, and this is a frustration I have when I watch, especially some younger coaches, is that you have a responsibility, in my opinion, to help the players that are good enough to play at the next level get to the next level. So I'll use Michael Turner as the example. Yeah. So when Michael came to me, his freshman year, he played at Novato High, played pretty exclusively inside, um, transferred to Marin Catholic as a sophomore, and pretty much his game was 15 feet and out. Then in the summer, work, 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 get Phil involved. Phil and I would talk, hey, this is where we need to get him in the offense. These are, these are the spots where he's going to get shots. Mm -hmm. This is what we need him to work on footwork-wise. And before you know it, also now he's shooting from 17 to 19 feet. So his junior year, pretty much trail threes. Like if he was in the, on the break and had a trail three, great. But out of the offense, not so much. Yeah. And then as a senior, again, in the summer between his junior and senior year, we're focusing on what we need to focus on to make him a complete player so he's packageable to play at the Division One level. And now he can shoot from anywhere. He can attack the basket from anywhere. He, I mean, that's kind of what, that's in my opinion, how a player should be developed to play at the next level. Instead of thinking of, oh, my job's to win league and win an NCS championship, so I'm going to play this kid at the block the whole time. Right. That's that's fantastic. So a couple things I got to jump in. Uh, this is great stuff. So first of all, Phil Handy. I mean, listeners, if you don't know who Phil Handy is, I'd encourage you to go to YouTube and and search Phil Handy. He, probably every NBA player has done Phil Handy's ball handling workout, right? I mean, he's. I think it's 94 feet of game is uh, one, maybe his website or that's his business, but he is a skills trainer. He's on the Lakers payroll right now, right? I think he. I think he's going to be a head coach pretty soon. Yeah, he's he's incredible. Um, I mean, I remember showing my CYO kids, uh, him working out with Harrison Barnes and just doing the kind of cross, cross, front, front, you know, just the, the quick ball handling moves, posture. It's all really great stuff for skills. So that's incredible that you had him in the, in the Marine Catholic gym. Oh, it was phenomenal. And then, like, uh, I'm coaching a third grade MBBA team. Yeah. And we start every day with 20 minutes of Phil Handy ball handling. Yeah. Every day, you know. And, yeah, he's, he's quite the force out there. Yeah. And just the... 
you know, rear end down, chest up, eyes up, the, the being on balance. Exactly. Everything is square, so you can go left, you can go right. You're not com- com- showing the defense where you're committed to ahead of time. Just that philosophy and, and that focus, I think, is phenomenal. Absolutely. And then I'm glad you brought up Michael Turner. You, you beat me to it because we've had a, I think, if we're being self-critical, Rick, this podcast has been a bit biased towards the 80s and a bit biased <laughs> towards Drake. So a lot of the a lot of the great player discussion and and well, so we're clear. My wife is an '86 Drake grad. Dated Mike Hayward was on the Reuter bus to the '82 championship game as a as an eighth grader. Okay. So she's a basketball nut too. You, you get it. That's, I that's get awesome. It. That's awesome. But you know, one of the names that has not come up and that really should. Well, actually, Fulton brought up Turner early as one of the best skills trainers. Is, is Michael Turner? MC player played for you as we talked about one of the best players in history of Marin. I'd be you'd be hard pressed to find a player who's better than Michael Turner. Um, he was North Bay Player of the Year um, by the named by the Chronicle. He was All State third team, I think, and then he went on to play at West Valley JC and then played Division One at Hartford, where he was um, All Conference Defensive First Team. Played pro ball in Germany and just. Unbelievable player, unbelievable energy, a great shooter, and it's so it's really cool to hear you talk about uh, your focus on developing him. In addition to you had great teams those years, right? We you're did. winning, you're winning league, you're you're going deep into the into the playoffs, but you you took the time to develop this kid into, I mean, really one of the best players in Marin history. So he, he cool. put the work in. I mean, he would call Phil and say, "Can you come work me out at lunch?" And Phil would come down and put him through a 35-minute workout at lunch. And it might even be a game day. Right. Like that's, that's the, like, kids don't understand that if you want to achieve your goals, you got to put the work in. And yeah. Michael Turner put the work in. Well, there's an old coaching cliche that, you know, players are made in the offseason, teams are made during the season. Sure. Right? Um, but, you know, it's, it's interesting to hear you talk about how in the offseason, because, I mean, I, I fall victim to this even now. I just coached, you know, over the over the summer, we had open gyms, and I'm still thinking about okay, what sets are we going to run? What's our framework going to be? But really, it should be the focus should be on skill development during this time, right? Uh, that I'm not saying we didn't do any team concepts, yeah. but 80 percent of what we did from that 6:30 to 8 o'clock block is was fundamental work, skill work. Yeah, I mean that's that's great. So another coaching cliche I want to ask you about. Um, I'm going I'm to butcher it, but basically treat treat the kids fairly, but not necessarily equally, right? <laughs> yeah. That coach always, my old coach always told me that, that, you know, you can't, I can't treat everybody the same because if I have one player who's a, you know, a division one level player and I have a player who's a freshman, that's the 15th player on the team. It's just, I'm not going to treat those kids the same, but I'm going to be fair to each of them, right? Yes. So talk about that. So we're back to Mike LaDuke, you know, yeah. Mike LaDuke. Uh, taught me um, that 90% of the game is getting kids, it's a psychological part, getting kids to buy into their role. Right. And whatever that role may be, that you got to convince them they're the best at it. And so for me, I just had this talk with Brock uh, over the weekend. Your son. Yeah, yep. he has a kid on his seventh grade Under Armour team that I could see in the game is getting frustrated. I'm like, you got to remember, you treat them all fairly, but... You push his buttons a little differently than you push Ollie Rowan's. Right. You know, Ollie Rowan, you can really jump on. But this young man, he, he doesn't respond to that as well. Yeah. So you got to find the buttons to push. So I have plenty of players in my, in my career where 
if I, you know, if I yelled at Dave Levine, he might be done for a month. Right. But if I yelled at Duffy Ballard, he was like, screw coach winner. I'm going to go prove him wrong right now. I know that's a hypothetical, but that was very accurate, Rick. <laughs> <laughs> and, and so I think that as a coach, the hardest thing to do is, you know, uh, it's like I have this kid. This is the, my favorite, Tony Petrozola. Every coach in the league hated him. Mm-hmm. Every coach wanted him on his team. Yeah. He would die for every loose ball, just a bulldog on defense. We had a rule for him. If he couldn't see color underneath his feet, meaning the key, he wasn't allowed to shoot. <laughs> okay, that was the rule. Yeah. And, and he bought into that role because he knew that there were better shooters on our team. His job was to play defense, get those garbage rebounds, dive on the loose ball, sure. you know, set screens for the shooters. Well, we were successful because he bought into that role. And it's hard to get players, especially today, because of the influence of the three-point shot and all those things, to buy into those roles. Yeah. But my best teams, kids bought into their role. We just, you haven't listened to the, the Chris Boward episode yet, but we spent a lot of time talking about Kerr and the Warriors and Kerr's ability to convince these guys, these you know, multi-million dollar athlete pros, to buy in to the role, like we talked about Iguodala, right? When he first, when Kerr first joined the team, and Iggy was a, a all star for Philly and twenty point a game, and then he had to go tell him, "Hey, Iggy, you're coming off the bench." He's doing it right now with Chris Paul's coming off the bench. Warrior, by the way, since our prediction stuff, the Warriors have had some some success, but the second team is doing great because guys are buying into their role. Chris Paul's right. a Hall of Famer, and Kerr, and you know, it's it's credit to Chris Paul too. But knowing your role, right? What does the team need? I sent a text message to our group uh, with four minutes left in the Houston game because if you looked at the plus minus on Yahoo, the starting five was all minus 12 or worse, yeah. and the second team was all plus 10 or better. I'm like, maybe we should be playing the second team the last four minutes, which wouldn't surprise me if Kirk did something like that. Of course. But, yeah, yeah, they're buying it. I mean, I also think that um, getting players to – think they're better than they are and buying into that role helps them yeah. buy into that into that philosophy and sometimes it's also not me my 98 team we were one game from elimination from the three games left in the league any game we lost we were eliminated from NC, uh, MCAL play NCS play NorCal play wow. Derek Ratto our six foot five 330 pound center we had lost three games in a row by one point all on the last possession and we had Drake, Redwood, Centerfell left. All three were the other three MCAL playoff teams. Had to win all three games. And after the, the third straight loss at the buzzer at Novato on a bank shot from the free throw line. Oh, dear. After the game, he stood up and he said, all of you right now are going to listen to that man or the season's over. Hmm. And from that point, sometimes it's not the coach, right? Sometimes yeah. it's the team that has to have somebody step up and say, if you listen, this is what's going to happen. And then we go on a 10-game winning streak. Uh, beat Drake three times in a two-week span. Pete Hayward sent me a, a note, which sh- I never even hardly ever talked to the man. Yeah, just saying how great it, he's like. No team, no Drake team has ever lost three games in a two-week span. We beat him in that. I guess it was a middle game of that week, and then we beat him in the in MCAL championship. Beat him in the NCS championship. Yeah, yeah. So awesome. sometimes it's the players, right? Yeah. they just get the rest of the team to buy in. Yeah, very cool. Very cool. Um, okay, I want to I want to shift gears for a, a little bit and talk talk about AAU and, and club yeah. basketball because you've got a lot of experience there. So, 
Talk about the pros and the cons of AAU basketball in general. So what do you see as the, the good and the bad? Is, so we don't do anything AAU related. I'm not a big fan of AAU. I'm a fan of basketball academies and and club programs. Okay. Um, can you, Rick, just for our listeners, can you explain the difference between, like, what is AAU versus... Yeah, so AAU to me means that you have an overarching organization that says you have to play in certain events or you have to have your tournaments certified by certain guys and there's conflict of interest. And yeah. I, I'm just not, that. that's not the, I learned that early on that I didn't want to get involved in those kinds of things. So we, we are a basketball academy. We are an academy for our parents, for our coaches, for our kids. Yep. It's, it's everybody being educated. I think one of the best things that happened from early on to through today is uh, I had a, when I got my master's at Laverne, um, one of my teachers, Dr. Burns, used to say, the best teachers are the best thieves. Well, I think the best coaches are the best thieves. Absolutely. I mean, just watching coaches work together and sure. stealing ideas and drills and communicating and all those kinds of things has been a huge aspect of MBBA. And then I think on the player side, like I know my boys played at St. Anthony's and, you know, a lot of teams didn't like St. Anthony's or St. Anthony's didn't like St. Anthony's. I think one of the things I love to watch now when I go to a CYO game is that five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten kids on the court all know each other. They've been playing together with MBBA. Totally. So all that animosity is gone and there's so much, uh, I don't want to say love, but there is. There's love and friendship out there. Absolutely. You know? And I love that aspect of it. No, so. it's, it's great. So when I was growing up, a, uh, there wasn't as much, MBBA didn't exist, 24-8 didn't exist. There wasn't really club basketball. I played it over in the East Bay. But for, for me, that was pirate camp. That right. was how I got that, right? So, And I, I heard Tom and, and John and yeah. awesome. I mean, I mean, and, and that's the other thing, too, you know, being when I came to Marin, I was the outsider. I, right. I, I didn't I had to learn Marin history and learn the Marin culture and really try to become a part of it. Um, I tried very hard to do that. I didn't want to be the outsider. I wanted to to like <laughs> I became very good friends with Doug Danellen Great. quickly. Great. And <laughs> Father Tarantino used to he actually called me in the office one day. He's like. <laughs> Is it true you and Doug go to dinner? I'm like, yeah, Doug's great. I'm like, he's like, what? You know, and I'm like, hey, just because I'm friends with Doug Donnell doesn't mean that I don't want to kick his rear end every of time course. we play. Of course. You know, and a, a great robbery based on respect, you know? That, yeah, and listeners, Doug Donnell was, after Pete Hayward stepped away coaching Drake High, Doug Donnell took over and won a lot of games. I don't know how many he won. Hundreds of games, was there for many, many years. Unbelievable coach. And MC and Drake, big rivals. So Rick and Doug beating each other up on the court, and then go out and have a have dinner and have a beer. And it wasn't just Doug. Like we, yeah. when uh, Chili's used to be right here, yeah. right down the street. I mean, you'd see Farbstein, you'd see Campagna. You, I mean, all, all the guys would go by, and just the. And I think that's why MBBA works too. It doesn't work in every area. Yeah. The reason it works is because the coaches, I, I met with all 10 coaches when I first started it and made it clear that MBBA was being designed to help them build their programs and right. to improve Marin basketball. And that I wanted all of their coaches to be a part of it. And what do you want us to run on? Like Our philosophy on offense and defense is built on what those coaches at that meeting said they wanted the kids to know coming into high school. That, that's how I set it up. So we run the five out, read, and react. Absolutely. 
because that's they asked us. We need the kids to know how to read a defense, when to cut, when to refuse a screen. Yep. How to make sure that we play man to man. Make sure that they know all the principles so that yeah. if we do happen to play zone once in a while, they understand the man to man principles to plug them into it. So MBBA was created. I mean, MBBA was really created because of Michael Turner. I mean, I got so frustrated I could not get my guys yeah. to the D1 level immediately. They all had to go JC first. All of them had to go JC except Ian Salter. Hmm. And if, if they played for me in Southern California, that would not have been the case. They would have gone D1 right away. Right. And so part of starting MBBA was to get our kids seen and recruited in addition to the fundamentals and the other things that we teach. And I'm, I'm, so I'm glad that you, you've corrected an error of mine where I've been talking a lot about AAU uh, just sort of as a general term. But really what we're talking about is kind of club basketball, right? Kind of off-season, yes. play basketball in these tournaments. And we talked a lot about this with KK. Um, you know, this is a really important way for kids to get exposure to colleges, right? Because during the season, obviously college coaches are coaching their teams, right? right. You have recruiting coordinators and assistant coaches are out on the road, but it's harder for them to scout a high school team than it is for them to go to a tournament in June and they see 100 amazing kids in the gym. 100%. So NBBA has been um, a very big player in that space for the last you know 15 years. Uh, and there are a bunch of programs like this, um, but it's been a great benefit. And you were just telling me before we... Um, started recording. So how many how many kids do you have going to college now I mean, from MBBA? Brock knows the numbers inside yeah. out. He's our high school director, but 30 plus from the girls and boys combined. Yeah. From the JC level all the way up to D1, we've got you yeah. know, up 30 plus kids that are just started practice uh, two weeks ago. That's awesome. So um, very, very cool. Uh, great accomplishment. And we're going to have Brock and, and Turner on this podcast and we'll, we'll go deep on this. Um, okay, I want to I shift gears again, Rick. I want to go back to the early days of growing up in SoCal for you because we've, again, it's been a very Marin-focused podcast, and that's great. But you're, you're someone who's, you're interesting. You're a hybrid, right? You're, um, you've left an indelible mark on Marin basketball in your 20 years that you've been here. But you're a SoCal guy growing up. So growing up in Anaheim, what was that like? What, were you playing pickup? Were you a big Laker fan? Like, growing, what, what was it like? So I was a huge Laker fan. I mean, Jerry West, Gail Goodrich, Elgin Baylor. I yeah. mean, that was, and then I was also a huge UCLA fan. Um, I still remember Notre Dame breaking the streak on my little, probably, I mean, the kids yeah. today wouldn't even know what I was talking about, but, yeah. you know, my little black and white TV that I had to sit six inches from my face to actually see the game. Yeah. Um, and then... Uh, was that luck, Walton's team, by the way? That was Walton's team. Yeah. That was Walton's team. Kelly Trapuca. Yes, that's right. Kelly Trapuca uh, did him in. And uh, so my parents, when I was, uh, I guess I was in fifth or sixth grade, moved to a neighborhood, uh, bought their first house and moved to a neighborhood in Anaheim. And Twilight Reed Elementary is where I went, and there was a park connected to it. And the park had two full courts and lights, chain nets, you yeah. know, all that. And it became a pretty, like I'm listening to Tom and John talk about the Drake courts. Yeah. That, that was it, you know. And then maybe seventh grade, uh, my parents started not getting along so well. And so, like, literally I would get home from school every day. And my escape was 3 o'clock. I was at those courts. 
uh, until probably six or seven. Yeah. My mom would, you know, yell out the back gate. Dinner. Dinner. Yep. And, or I had to be home if the lights were off, you know, the street lights went on, you got to be home. Right. Um, and so I just played and played and played. But the turning point came with Magic and Bird. I mean, yeah. the 79 <clears throat> NCAA championship game. Sure. Changed everything because here I I'm I'm this now I'm this 14 year old kid and I listened to Fulton talk about Swin Nader the other day and like yeah all this Cypress College is a couple miles away from where I grew up and he that's where Swin played before right. he went to UCLA so the Cypress College guys would come there there were there were big time games going on there it was a hotbed and I only get to play if they needed a tenth guy you sure. know I mean but. I started to earn some respect, and I started to, I'd hit a big shot here or there, or I'd make a good pass, and then pretty soon it was like, okay, hey, maybe this little guy can play. Right. And, and so, and then Coach Track saw me playing there, and that's when I played on my first uh, travel team. And, and then he was my coach when I went to, to Western High School. Great. Uh, but, I got, but I got cut from my, my junior high team. That also had a huge influence. I started, you know, going to the park and just, Putting myself through workouts. Yeah, working um, hard, get better. Yep. Yeah, awesome. Um, so, how did you end up at Laverne? So you go to high school, and then you, you <laughs> now now we're we're gonna play college yeah. ball. Um, I didn't go there to play to play ball. Um, I had a huge interest in journalism, huh. and um, I was the first person in my family to go to college, and I actually got accepted at a couple of. Really good. I got accepted at UCLA. Got accepted at UConn, but Laverne had one of the best journalism programs on the West Coast, and I had a chance to play. So a guy named uh, Gary Smith was a coach at Redlands. He actually recruited me a little bit, hmm. and then I went and watched him play. And remember, no three point line when I played. Uh, right. I'm old, so no three point line when I played. If there was, I probably averaged three points more a game. But yeah. uh, uh, I went and watched Redlands play and. I mean, all he focused on was defense, and I was like, yeah, there's no way I could play here. Yeah. Like, that was not my game. <laughs> and so I started Laverne's Journalism School, and I got a small scholarship there, and they had a scholarship night uh, in May. And that's where I met my best buddy, Joe Sales, 6'4", African-American guy that knows how to use his rear end better than anybody I've ever met. I mean, unbelievable post-up game for 6'4", and then could go inside, outside. And we struck up a relationship, and I was like, okay, maybe maybe I can play hoops here. And so my freshman year, I played JVs. Um, Gary Stewart, who was a transfer from Long Beach State, was the star. Andre Basu, who also came from Long Beach State, I had to guard him. I kept telling my coach, I'm like, why are you making me guard Andre? I'm not making him better, because all right. the, I just watch him blur past me every time. He was first team all Skyac. Um, Gary's now head coach at Stevenson University in North Carolina, has had a phenomenal career, was a coach at Laverne for a while. Great. Um, so had a great experience there. My, didn't play, you know, didn't play. My coach loved me because I don't want to say I was dirty, but I was tough. Right. I didn't care if you were 6'4", 6'5". I'd hold your jersey. I, I Whatever it took. You did to, what you had to do. I did right? what I had to do. Yeah. And my coach used to say to the all the time, like, why can't you guys play more like this guy, you know? I'm this little 5'11", you know, scrawny guy. So I worked my butt off in between my freshman and sophomore year because I didn't want to play JV again. Right. And I actually made the varsity. And on our first game, it was an alumni game, and I come down on a size, we had a seven-footer, 
<clears throat> come down on his. He was not very good. He wouldn't have been at Laverne if he was any good. Right. Uh, and I came down on the side of his foot, tore oh. ligaments, and done. And my old high school assistant varsity coach, Conrad Byers, had gotten the varsity job at Anaheim High School. He had called me before the season started to see if I was interested in coaching. Couldn't do it because I was playing. Yeah. And then as soon as I got hurt, my first phone call. So I would commute from Laverne to, it's about a 30-minute ride from Laverne to Anaheim High School. And I coached freshman basketball at Anaheim High School for a couple of seasons and then started coaching locally closer to, to the Laverne area. So we, we spoke with Mike and Ashley Saya last week, which that interview will, that episode will come out soon. It was a great interview. Um, and Ashley had four ACL injuries in her career. Um, just brutal luck, but such a positive person and kind of, you know, yeah. fought through, resilient, uh, kept coming back and playing. But then, you know, finally when her playing days were over, went into coaching, right? Now she's had a very successful career coaching at, at MC, but she was talking about when she was hurt at Bentley, where she went, um, she was still, the coaches had her participate in everything. She was sitting on the bench. She's She almost was like, started her coaching career right there right so blessing in disguise right horrible luck with an injury it's awful it's devastating but there's this silver lining and it sounds like with you terrible injury huge bummer but it starts this coaching career yeah. that's been pretty fulfilling for your life right so it's been awesome I mean if that injury hadn't happened who knows what direction we're going because right. and then the other thing too is that as I always mentioned when we were talking a little bit before we started recording is that in Southern California at that time, to become a varsity coach, which was my goal, you had to be an on-campus teacher. There was no ifs, ands, or buts. You were on campus. And so <clears throat> I got continued getting my degree in communications and journalism, but I minored in history so that I could then uh, have the opportunity, if I became good enough, yeah. to coach at the varsity level. Awesome. Yeah. So I'm interested in your perspective on coaching the MCAL from, so you were 95 to 2010 at MC, right? So you, you, first you started, you graduated Laverne, you go to Damien, you coach at Damien for a couple of years, you have success, you move up here, you take over at MC. Um, how, the high school game is different today sure. than it was when you were coaching, right? We've talked about it ad nauseum, five out, the, the system is different, threes everywhere. Talk about today's game versus when you were coaching and which, which one do you like more? <laughs> well, I think the players would tell you that they like to get today's game more. Sure. Like a uh, funny side story. So I, I always geared my offenses and my philosophies around what we, what talent I had. Yeah. And so Michael Duke actually, along with John Macy, who was coach at UC Rivers, I created an offense called two guard. I brought it to Marin. It's yeah. Very effective offense. It's basically a four-man flex screen screener with tons of counters off it. Very difficult to guard. Yeah. And, uh, but like when I had the 6'10 kid, Ian Salter, I went and spent two days with Herb Sendak at Arizona State. Oh, wow. And learned his version of the Princeton offense. And so we, we ran the Princeton with Ian because he could shoot from the three. He could put the ball on the deck. He yep. ended up playing at Toledo. He, so it, it didn't make sense to run a four-man flex with him at the high post and not be able to utilize him. So right. we changed. Well, <laughs> this is hilarious. So senior year for Brock, I have Patrick Conroy. He's a he's a freshman. Uh, David Ahern's a sophomore. This Trizulo and Rupert's family. I look mm -hmm. and love those kids. I mean, first-year varsity guys. We we ran the Loyola Marymount system. So so they, shoot, 
the Quickly. year that uh, the year that Hank Gathers passed, yeah. I was on staff uh, at Paul Westhead's camp. Oh wow! And so I got to learn his system. And so Brock's senior year, we ran that system. We pressed every second. We would rotate ten guys, eight, ten guys every game. And we're playing San Marin in the league opener. Stuart Wasonga's junior year. They're beating us by 15 the whole game. And we just keep, Westhead's philosophy was, if you're 99% committed to the system, yep. it works 50% of the time. <laughs> if you're 100% committed to the system, it works 100% of the time. We just kept pressing and pressing and pressing and shooting our threes. And with we finally came back in the fourth, we're down 15 to start the fourth quarter. Win the game, Patrick Conroy, freshman. We ran a little, refused the screen play to him. Hits the three to win the game. Wow. Michael Turner's at the game. And he, first thing he says when he comes down, not congratulations, coach. What is going on? <laughs> what, why? How come I didn't play in this system? Yeah. You, you made us make five passes and get an open 15-footer or a layup, you know. And so as a player, I get it. Like, you want to play in, in this kind of system. It's like, this is bullshit. I'm playing for Norman Dale instead of Paul Weston. 100%. Right? 100%. So, and I was like, well, this is what the talent dictated. Like, yeah. we're young, we're inexperienced, but we got tons of bodies that can go, and we have no size. So we're going we're gonna to shoot a lot of threes, and we're going to get after it and press. I mean, we were down to Menlo, 22 to start the fourth quarter. John Ratchin, who coaches for yeah. NBA now, was sure. assistant at Menlo. Novato girls coach. Yep. We were yep. down 22 to start the fourth quarter, and we beat them by six. We were wow. 0 for 22 from three going into the fourth quarter and then hit seven threes in the fourth quarter. That, that Loyola Marymount system um, that, that Rick's talking about, listeners, is, was amazing in the, what years was that? The late 80s? Late 80s. 80, like, what was that? What year was that? 85? Yeah, with Hank Gathers and Bo Kimball. Because, um, you know, Westhead was... Uh, a Lakers coach won a title right with the Lakers mm-hmm. and then got fired. Uh, winning time, the HBO show goes through this, but he then joined Loyola Marymount and had this amazing system, run and gun. They would shoot within what seven, eight seconds, Rick, of every possession. Yeah, and it's the rules like if the point guard passes the ball to the to the two guard that's filling the lane, yep. the two guard doesn't think he just shoots. Yeah. If the if he doesn't have, if he's not open, it's the point guard's fault. I mean, it's just it's an incredible system, and they would actually press and let you score. In an attempt to try to get you to run with them. Exactly. Yeah. Awesome. And the and the the conditioning. I remember. I remember. You know, Jeff Fryer was launching threes. Right. I'm actually of, friends with Jeff. I helped him build his academy in, oh, in nice. SoCal. He yeah. was my hero growing up. Um, but yeah, they would just the conditioning that they would do running the the dunes and you know yeah. Malibu just preseason, just torture. But because they his philosophy was we're gonna outwork you and we're gonna outcondition you, and 100%. it worked. They won a lot of games. They did. It was, Oh, that's, that's and, really cool. And he was a mate. What, I worked for him one summer, one summer. And like eight years later, Wendy and I are at, on the beach in Laguna. Yeah. And he's walking by. And he's like, Coach Winter? That's like, cool. That's just guy. I worked for him for one week. Yeah. You know? Amazing guy. Yeah. Duffy has an item. And I've got a microphone here, so hopefully okay. you can hear me on the back end. Is there anyone locally running that currently that we know of? Loyola. <sighs> I don't think so. <laughs> Too much work. It's not. Un, I mean, it's not that big a leap from what is going on now, right? It's not. I was talking about this, so we had Michelle Brevelli in here. Yeah. Um, and I, um, I was watching a, a tournament game, one of your tournaments, uh, a couple weeks ago, and Mike Brevelli and I were sitting in the Novato Old Gym, and we were watching his son play. 
and it was sort of a combo Marine Catholic San Rafael team playing yeah. against Branson. And the Branson team's phenomenal, right? I mean, they're so much talent. And this MC San Rafael team was doing great. But Mike and I were laughing because literally every possession is a, is a three or a layup. Yep. And so it would be three, come down, three, come down, layup, come down, three, miss. You know, just there was not a mid-range shot for 15 minutes. Uh, Brock just sent us last week a little Instagram. We have our little admin team, Yeah, we call it. So me, Brock, Kyle, we're kind of the four guy, And we run the MBBA Marin side. So, And it's, uh, it's a very well-respected trainer who's talking to some of the, like the top 100 players in the country. And he's like, what's the best shot you can get in the game? A layup. What's the second best shot you can get in the game? A catch and shoot three. Like that's the philosophy now. Yeah. In the past, like when the three-pointer first came out, that that wasn't the philosophy. The right. philosophy was you still need to attack the basket. You still need to get the 15-footer. Um, and it just adjusted shooting field goal percentage. Just started doing the math. And you're like, okay, well, if I shoot this many threes and make 40%, it's better than the two. Yep. You know, those kinds of things. Yeah. But Duffy, I mean, that's a good, it's a good question. But, you know, the, I mean, honestly, the five-out system is not that different. Because, I mean, with LMU, I mean, Rick, you know better than I, but player, players run to their spots, right? You have, yeah. you have different spots that are designated, and then there are different rules. It's, it's, it's a framework, right? Correct. It's not a set play. It's just a framework. But the idea was if they were holding the ball 10, 15 seconds into the shot clock, that's, a, that's not an that's a bad possession. That's a bad possession for them. I mean, today, if you go watch Grinnell college play, I mean, yeah. They're averaging 100 points a game. You know, sometimes they score 150. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So in the league when you were there, uh, by the way, I love that it's fascinating when you talk about how you changed your system based on your personnel. We talked about that a lot with Fulton, right? He's, he's great about that. Right. And we just, you know, first day of practice was yesterday. We're talking about, okay, given our personnel, how are we going to change our system? That's what good coaches do. So in that league back in 95 to 2010 in the MCAL, you guys were always good. I know Branson had some great teams. Drake had some really good teams. Who else was, was, was tough in the league? I mean, to me, that's the golden era of coaching. No disrespect to anybody else yeah. uh, before or after, but I mean... Tavani. Tavani, yeah. Honick, Danellen. Yeah. Uh, you know, I mean, you can go Farbstein at Terralinda. I mean, you can just keep going yeah. down the list, and there's incredible coaches throughout the league. Campagno. Was and it's Campagno yeah. at Kinder yeah. Redwood my last year yeah. um, or second to last year. I mean, there's, it was just, and it was so defensive oriented. I mean, everybody played tough man-to-man defense. We actually petitioned to have CYO outlaw yeah. zone defense yeah. because why are we teaching these kids to play zone when none of us, we, the whole league played man. Um, and every, like I used to tell my, so one of my philosophies, and I can't remember which podcast you had it on or which coach said it or who said it, but I never have taken a player out of a game for shooting a bad shot. That was Fulton. That was yeah, Fulton. Yeah. Not once, ever. I would take you out for not shooting an open shot. Yeah. Because in the league at that time, if you passed up an open shot, <laughs> you might not get another one. Right. And so I, I never punish players for, for taking a bad shot. But if you passed up the open one, man, I, I would be on you pretty hard because yeah. they were so hard to come by. Uh, absolutely. We, so we, uh, one of the interviews we've done, we haven't released the episode yet, is with Jeff Skaggs, who's a great guy. He was an MC grad in the late 70s. Um, and Jeff talked about that he also was involved in 
getting C- uh, zones banned in CYO <laughs> until seventh grade, and I I bowed down to him because that's just a that's a really big issue for me. I, yeah. I have a, it's a pet peeve of mine when I see CYO teams run zone, even if zones will win you a game as a CYO coach. As a my this is my soapbox. As a CYO coach, your focus should not be on winning games. It should be on developing your players and teaching them the game. And I, I know this as a coach now in high school. If I have kids who played CYO for somebody else and they played zone all through their CYO life, they have no idea how to guard anybody. Yeah, I, I tell our MBBA parents all the time, if you're playing MBBA to win games, yeah. you're in the wrong program. Because right. especially in the third, fourth, fifth grade levels, we could, if we sit in a zone, we could win a lot. Sure. But, but we're teaching the kids nothing. We're not preparing them for high school. We're not preparing them to, to play the game the right way. Yeah. And so even when we play in our tournaments, I try to, I try to avoid pl- having programs that play zone, play in our tournaments. Yeah. I, I, I want teams to play man. Like uh, my little third grade team, I mean, we just, we just lost a game uh, to a team that they run a – Two, three extended trapping zone, you yeah. know, and that kind of thing, and and they beat us by twenty five. And I told our parents, "That's fine now. By fifth grade, we'll be slicing and dicing that, yes. and we'll be beating that team by fifteen. Yeah, um, it's just a matter of us being strong enough to handle the ball better, being strong enough to shoot over it, make the correct passes, make the correct adjustments. We're not there yet in third grade, yeah. but by fifth grade, we'll be there." Yeah, Duffy. So. Uh, we just started the season. We're doing a lot of shell drill. Yeah. You know, a lot of, you know, lane, ball, I got two, bounce, drop, help side, all this, right? Listen to a podcast, not ours, different podcast recently. How dare you? And, and uh, <laughs> it, was, um, it was a coach in Idaho, and he asked the question, what is help side in man-to-man defense if it's not zone? A, a good help side defense looks like zone. A lot of coaches, I mean, I, I've seen CYO coaches, like I, used to, I would run Marin Catholic Gym, yeah. and they would be like, that coach is playing his own. I'm like, no, he's not. He's just taught his team how to play man defense right. properly. Right. And if you just send a cutter through, you'll see it's not his own because the man will follow him. Exactly. You know, uh, a good man-to-man defense looks like a zone. I was... I was about to say, Duff, I mean, and I said this in the Skaggs interview too, you know, this is not a judgment on, look, at the high school level and beyond, zones, there's a place for them, right? I, I mentioned this before. Jim Beheim, long career. But all man-to-man principles. Man-to-man principles. It's all man-to-man So that, that's the issue, right? It's, it's when we're, as the foundation, if you're building a house, you need to have a good foundation. Your foundation has to be man-to-man principles, which is get in a stance, see the ball, you know, ball you man, kind of proper fundamentals of help side, right? And you learn that by playing man-to-man defense. In a zone, if you don't have that base, you're not going to play a very good zone. And like my, so my 2004 team, I'm going to say that I played 99% man defense my entire coaching career. The 1% was in one season, and it was in 2004. We had a 6'9", 290-pound kid named Corey Lowe who went and played at Northern Colorado, hmm. had a great career. And we ran a, we took Tarkanian's amoeba defense yeah. and amended it for him. So the four guys in the perimeter were all playing man-to-man principles. And then he had this little triangle that he had to guard, depending okay. upon where the ball was, to take away the inside. And it was 
but we had to do it because given the mismatches that were created with him having to play man-to-man, teams could expose him. So again, it's, it's back to doing it yep. based on your personnel. And especially like we got into NCS and like we beat Salesian at our place in the semis, big upset. Yeah. And that, that switching to zone is what won us the game. Um, but it, it wasn't like the CYO coaches just putting five kids out there in a 2-3 zone and just standing there. Guarding paint. It's, it, yeah, it's all based on man-to-man principles. Absolutely. Duffy, yes. Yeah, I'm kind of just being the devil's advocate here, of course. But I do wonder, it just strikes me, when we're teaching man-to-man, even at the high school level, we spend most of our time on the zone principles to reacting to being beat and not so much the actual man-to-man defense. Yeah. And you see a lot of kids, including my son was this way, all the way through CYO, pretty good on ball, but kind of would lose the help side. I just wonder, you know, hypothetically, if we started everyone with zone and they learned the help side first and then introduced the man-to-man, would it be different? I'm not advocating for that. I'm just... I'm just Rick, I'm looking for a new podcast co-host. <laughs> Duffy has been removed. <laughs> Duffy, good, good, fair, a, a fair point. A fair point. We can talk about this in intro and outro. I don't want to hijack this. But I th- so I think that um, if you're teaching man-to-man to younger kids and you run a shell drill, right, which is four-on-four, teaching help side, positioning, yes, it's, it looks a little bit like a zone, but I think that is the answer of that's the best way to teach defensive principles. Yeah, I teach my third grade team. We run shell drill every single day. Yeah. And, and the way I teach it is, is that there's a rope tied around the ball and a rope tied around your waist. So there's one rope tied around the ball. Yep. The extension of the rope goes to your waist. Whichever direction the ball goes, it you pulls you in that direction. Exactly. And, and they start to get it. You know, they start to understand. I'm like, where, what, did the rope pull you? Yeah, coach, it's pulling me here. Yeah. You know, it's, uh, That's a great visual. Yeah. Um, so you had a unique experience at MC and that we, we've talked about this a little bit and that you coached your kid, right? Yeah. Um, so you had Brock played for you. Kyle was too young, right? You didn't coach Kyle at, at MC, right? Didn't want to coach Kyle. Okay. <laughs> because of the experience with Brock. Yeah. Okay. So coaches coaching their kids, that's a, yeah. that's a tough one, right? It can be great. Yeah. I, I assume it can be a challenge. So, so talk about that and how did how, how'd that work out for you? So, coaching Brock was a blast, you know, um, but I also had set the guidelines early. Yeah. And I know you uh, forget which podcast this was. I think you brought this up, the the coach or dad kind of thing. Yeah, the Fulton um, one. Yeah. So, um, so really, <clears throat> um, I reached out to Coach Blackwood when I started coaching my boys in CYO. And I kind of struck a friendship with him when I was scouting. And so I, Tom, tell me how you coached your four boys. And that's what he told me. He's like, you gotta create the boundary. And after games, you gotta ask them, you know, do you want me to talk to you as coach or as dad? And so that's how I approached it. And and because what happened is, is that my philosophy is a little different and I have this conversation with parents that are upset about placement in MBBA right now, mm-hmm. is that I used to go to the athletic director at St. Anthony's when both Brock and Kyle were playing at St. Anthony's. They wanted to kill me every year. But I would tell Jim Benson, the AD, 
if they're going to be number eight, nine, ten on the A team, I want them on a B team. Yep. I don't care who they play with. I don't want them on the A team where they're going to get the minimum eight, whatever it is, ten minutes. Yeah, the minimum. Game. They need to be on the court. Time. They need right. to build their basketball IQ. Yeah. And part of that is maybe playing with kids that aren't as talented and learning who to pass to in this situation or who not to pass to in this situation, yeah. and how to get teammate, how to make your teammates better, all those kinds of things to build basketball IQ. Sure. To prepare them to play in high school. So. I had this, they were going to, they were going to, St. Anthony's didn't have a coach. They were going to cut 10 kids. I'm coaching at MC at the time. And I'm like, forget it. I'll coach the team too. So I was coaching St. Anthony's while I was doing the MC stuff. And that was my first experience coaching Brock. And so that worked very well, Coach Blackwood's advice. And then as yeah. years went on, <clears throat> it worked well. Well, his senior year, it worked great. I mean, he, so the backstory is, is that his sophomore year, my Dave Bassett and I told him he should go play baseball. We told me he didn't think he'd ever hmm. be a good player in our program. That I shouldn't say good player. He would he would he would make our team, but we didn't think he would get on the court. Yeah. That night, he put three goals on his in his room above his bed. Number one, prove Coach Winner wrong. That means the boundary had worked. He didn't say dad. He said yeah. Coach Winner. Huh. Number two, improve my foot speed. Number three, get in the gym every morning at six thirty. And he started working out with Phil Handy. Great. And all of a sudden. I mean, his junior year, he didn't play hardly at all. His senior year, he worked himself up to be our best player. Um, second team All-League, All-Bay Area. I mean, pretty talented player. However, I was this really good basketball coach for 14 years, and all of a sudden I was dumb. Right, because you're playing your kid. It's playing my kid. My yeah. coaching staff is telling me I'm not playing him enough, and I'm getting letters for the first time and yeah. all those kinds of things. <clears throat> and I just, and then Brock asked me to read his, when he, on May 1st, he decided to choose Ithaca College as where he was going to go go to school. And he asked me if I wanted to read his college application essay. And it was entitled, The Obstacles of Being on Campus with Dad for Four Years. Hmm. I was the athletic director, his APUS history teacher, and the basketball coach. And yeah. I started thinking about it, and I'm like, okay, would, would I want to be on campus with my dad? Like, probably not. And yeah. Kyle's built a little differently than Brock. Um, they're definitely at opposite extremes. And I was like, there's no way that I want to coach Kyle. Um, yeah. And even though I had been coaching a CYO team and the boundary was set. <clears throat> um, so I, that's, I resigned the next day and started MBBA. Hmm. And I think it's now carried forward into the business world. Like, Brock and Kyle and I have the same, we can separate yeah. the business relationship and like Brock will challenge me. I think we should do this, this, and this. And we could have a, it drives my wife nuts. We could have a full-blown full disagreement yeah. slash argument. And then three minutes later, we'll hang up. Three minutes later, he'll call me and he'll start talking about the baby. Your hey, dad. Yeah. Can your, you? Your grandpa. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. And I'm like, okay. Yeah. Like, and she, it drives her a little crazy, but it, the boundaries have been set since sixth grade. Yeah, well, that's 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 great. You know, one of the things I wanted to have you mention was you're great about um, just the whole idea of this feedback thing, and I love. So, yeah, I, I I gave Tony Butler some love on that one, but really that was that was you that also said that's that. That's all right. It doesn't matter the, where it comes from. But no, as it, long as the message gets out, it's to great advice. Words, it's know? great advice. But Tony, love you too. Um, the 24-hour rule that you guys have at, at MBBA, yeah. I think, is great. So this is um, for parents giving feedback to coaches after a game. Like, let's say there's a game and 
the team loses by 30 and maybe a kid didn't play as much and a parent's frustrated and wants to talk to the coach, your, your advice to everybody is wait 24 hours, right? Talk, talk about your 24-hour rule. So we all, I mean, there's nothing we love more in this world than our kids. Uh, every single person would do whatever yeah. they had to do for their kids. Of course. And 99% of the time, when you're in the heat of the, heat of the moment watching what's happening on the court, you have a tendency to react differently than if you have a chance to sleep on it and yeah. the next day be like, oh, wow, maybe, maybe there's a reason behind this or maybe right. I should approach this differently. Um, and you're going to kind of laugh at this, but one of the worst parents in my program was my wife. Uh, <laughs> she, when Kyle, so getting Kyle ready to play at Marine Catholic, he, he played on teams that got beat by 30, 40 points routinely. Mm-hmm. And she would send me text messages at halftime. What am I doing in this gym in Vallejo? It's 102 degrees in here. We're down 54 to 12 at halftime. This, yeah. is, this, is, this is ridiculous. And I res- would respond back. Are you talking to me as my wife? Or are you talking to me as an MABA parent? And I'd get no response for a while. <laughs> and, then, and then I finally got her to understand that if Kyle ever wanted to not just make the team, but get minutes at Marine Catholic. These were the kids that he had to play against now because these were the kids he was going to play against if yeah. he ever did make a varsity team. Yeah. So she kind of got it. But that's a good example of, I get it. As a parent, it's so hard to watch your kid get beat by 30, 40 points. And so you want to yeah. send that text message. You want to send that email. And so I actually had a parent this year, first time I've ever gotten this response, um, he sent me a, an email. It was not a good email. You know, they, were, they lost the game by however many points. And my philosophy is, is that if you break our rule, I don't reply. I will not respond. Yeah. And I say it in our parent meeting. Yeah. And so he responded back the next day and said, are you going to respond to this? And I finally responded back and said, two questions. One, have you watched the parent meeting, the Zoom link? And two, if you have, then you know you're violating the rule. Why are you sending this? Hmm. He responded back with, no, I haven't watched the parent meeting. So he didn't know about the rule. And so I actually addressed his concerns, even though it was a violation. Yeah. And he didn't like my response. And he said, I'm actually offended that you think that parents are not capable of responding rationally in less than 24 hours. And my response back was, most parents are not because... This is the thing you love the most in the world. Nobody's rational about their kid. You're, nobody's right. rational about their kid. Yeah. I'm not rational about my kid. You yeah. know, it's, it's impossible to be that way. Yeah. So um, I think most parents follow it. And I can't, I can't even begin to tell you how many times a parent will violate it. And then the next morning, it's the first email in my inbox. Right. Please ignore that. I'm sorry. You know, I'm, I'm still upset about A, B, and C. Can we talk about this? And then I'll talk to them about it because now they're in a more rational state. Yeah. And by the way, the number of complaints we get are, I mean, we had 72 teams this yeah. fall. We're talking maybe five or six. Right, right. Yeah. It doesn't happen all the time. Yeah. No, that's great. No, I, I, just, I think it's a really good message. That's actually really good for even beyond basketball, right? I mean, just it's good. Don to, Ritchie. Yeah. That, 
Yes, Duffy. Yeah, some of the best emails I've ever written are ones that I wrote at night and then <laughs> waited. Draft yeah. Reread in the morning. So those are great emails. Yes. I'm just not going to send. So them I'm going to. They're not the right tone. Dave will not appreciate that criticism of his interview. So I'm just going to delete. <laughs> so I'm going to write an email, a very pointed email about your zone comment, but I'm not going to send it until tomorrow. Okay. I'm going to wait. 24 hours. 24 hours. So, so the credit for that goes to former principal at Marin Catholic named Don Ritchie. Yeah. He taught there for 30 plus years. And when I was the AD, got the AD's job, he was the principal. And dealing with some of these parents that donated a million dollars and this yeah. and that and all that or were, thought they were entitled to things, he taught me two things. He said, number one, wait 24 hours before you reply. Number two, remove all emotion from every response. Just give the facts. And so the, my first year as AD, he made me send my responses in the situation to him first. Okay, so and he would send it back. And he would, it was like he was my teacher. Right. And he would say, is this a motion? <laughs> you know? And yeah. I'd be like, okay, I got to remove that. You know? And so th- that's, that's how I developed that philosophy. Again, yeah. the best teachers are the best thieves. I mean, I, totally. I've stolen these things from all these really, really great administrators and coaches. All right. Speaking of stealing stuff from... Good people, Rick. Um, I want to talk about Coach Spolstra. Yeah. Um, so, listeners, if you don't know who Eric Spolstra is, he's the head coach of the Miami Heat. He's, uh, in my opinion, he's my favorite coach in the NBA. Um, I mean, I've got, I love Kerr, I love Pop, but Spolstra, I love watching the Heat play. They just, he does so much with the talent that he has. Um, they're all bought in. He runs great stuff. I just, I love Spolstra, and I know you've had some. Uh, some great experiences working closely with him. So talk about that. Yeah. So it was the weirdest thing, um, strangest thing. 2013, I guess, or two, yeah, summer of 2013, or two, anyway, it's 2012. It took a year for it to all transpire. Um, we're in Vegas with our select teams. For a tournament. Ending the season in yep. July. Yep. NBA Summer League's going on. One of our parents... Um, the Keefe family, Brian Keefe, his, Miles was a phenomenal player playing at Vanderbilt right now. Sure, a couple um, Finleys and then at Finley was at on Branson our UA now. Rise 17s, yep. and he's getting recruited right now, and he's a stud at Branson as a senior. Yep. So um, Brian and Eric went to high school together, good friends from high school. Oh, cool. And so uh, he spoke, just popped by to watch Miles. Miles was on our fifth grade team at the time. Hmm. Chad Day, or yeah, fifth grade. Chad Daggett was coaching the team, former Branson JV coach. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I mean, we had 18 teams there. I'm, I'm like, that's awesome, Spoh's watching the game. But I'm, like, running around. And then all of a sudden I get a, a t- text message from Brian. Hey, Spoh wants to talk to you. I'm like, okay. It became a 90-minute interview. I mean, it was, so tell me why you're running this offense. Yeah. And explain why we run the five out. And you only play man. Yep, we only play man. And tell me why... The Branson JV coach wants to coach this fifth grade team, yeah. you know, and well, because in Marin County, the coaches just love basketball. They don't care if they're making everybody else better. You know, they just want to teach kids how to play the game the right way. Yeah. Like, who knows? Maybe this kid will end up at Branson someday. At the time, we didn't know that's where he was going to go, but right. that's, that's where he ended up, yeah. you know. And so um, fast forward, didn't, that, that's where it ended. And then the Warriors were coming out to play the Warriors in October. I'm driving to Napa to check in with my Napa director and drop in on a practice. And I get a text me- or a phone call from Brian. He's like, Spoh's going to drop in at Venetia Valley tonight. 
to check out skills. Wow. <laughs> so I called Turner and I'm like, FYI, I don't think Turner even got my call, I left a message. Yeah. I'm like, okay, I'll turn around, come back. So for the listeners, if you don't know Venetia Valley Gym, it is probably the worst gym in Marin County. It's Dave Deneen's favorite gym. It, it is. It is. It's not a good gym. The, the, <laughs> it's not even a full size. There's no three-point light yeah. on the sides. You have to take a broomstick to pull the, the wooden backboards out from to pull the basket out. Yeah. And so it's not the, so we had 31 third, fourth, and fifth graders in this gym. And uh, I walk in the gym, and it's Michael Turner, and, and actually I think it was Chad running the, running the, the yeah. clinic. And I look up, and Spo is standing up. He's just jeans. I don't think nobody knew who he was. Yeah. Jeans and a T-shirt on with a backwards hat, and he's got his camera out on his iPhone, and he's filming the whole thing. Wow. And then I see Brian, and Brian's like, hey, can you come? To dinner tonight, Spo wants to talk to you. And then he started. He told me he had been looking for ten years to find the right academy to build his academy in Miami. And so that's where the conversation started. Oh, very cool. And then fast forward to November, uh, he asked me. He's like, "I want to launch this in January. Who should run it?" And I'm like, "Brock." He's like. Wait, isn't he in college? I'm like, yeah, he's graduating a semester early. AP classes. The AP classes. He graduated yeah. semester early. And so he interviewed. So in, on Veterans Day weekend, we went to Miami. Kyle asked if he could come because he wanted to hear what the, what the scoop was and what sure. the story was. It was a three-hour interview. We went to dinner, and he literally interviewed Brock for three hours. And Brock was amazing. And the only catch was is that I had to... He didn't, Miami's much different than here. I mm -hmm. mean, it's the wild, wild west at the high school level. Yeah. Transfers everywhere. Yeah. International kids coming from Puerto Rico. Sure. I mean, it's, it's crazy there. And uh, a lot of parents paid in cash, if you know what I mean. Yeah. And so Spo did not want Brock to be the face oh. of the academy because yeah. he's a 21-year-old kid. Like, Brock was a 35-year-old man running the academy yeah okay but he wanted somebody like me right so I, I was there once a week so for the duration of the academy wow. sorry I was there for one week a month okay for the duration of the academy so I would spend three weeks in Marin and then I'd spend one week in Miami for the two years we were there so what do you think uh, you spent time with him what do you think Spo's secret sauce is why is he such, such a good coach because a and I know this doesn't sound nuts. He has no ego, number one. Yeah. He, so there were a couple times where we had this, what I called, we, we called it the manifesto lunch that went on for like four hours at a restaurant. And, and I don't know how he heard the guy behind us, but somehow there was a group of people talking behind us. And whatever they were talking about struck him. And he turned around and introduced himself. They knew who he was. but sure. But, you know introduce himself and he's like can you repeat that and it was like three businessmen having a meeting and the guy repeated whatever it was Spo wanted to hear and Spo takes this notebook out of his briefcase and he writes it down and he tells the guy he goes I don't know when I'm going to use this but at some point this season next season this is going to be part of what we do Love it. and I was just like wow this is you know I mean the guy at the same lunch <laughs> this is LeBron's last year. 
Ray Allen is aging, yeah. and he says, uh, out of the blue, he says, what do you guys got to get Ray a wide open three? <laughs> and we're like, awesome. we're like, what? And he goes, I'm being serious. He's like, every team is playing him on his hip, yeah. making him put the ball on the deck, and we need to get him like a wide open look. And Brock and I laugh, and at the same time, we both said, two up. And he's like, show it to me. And so we diagrammed two up. So he's like pepper shakers and a, and a glass, or pretty. Or, it, it, yeah. he, had, he had notebook paper. So, okay, all right. So, so we put, we put it, it on paper. Way. That's good. And, uh, and so we diagram it. Yeah. And he's he says, okay, wh- where's LeBron? And we're like, well, we think if you have LeBron, so the sag- second staggered, if they hedge out to Ray, you're gonna get LeBron for the slip dunk. Little he's dive. Like, Beautiful. Yeah. That night they ran it out of a timeout. Oh, that's awesome. And Ray got a wide open three. They still run it every once in a while. Yeah. It's it's crazy. He's crazy. He just he just uh he felt like he could he feels like he can learn something from everybody. It's not like he thinks he's above everybody else. He just That's really it's cool. Pre- pretty amazing. Yeah, I mean, you know, he was put into a situation coaching the Heat where when LeBron left the Cavs the first time, right? And LeBron and Wade and Bosch went to the Heat. Spolstra was that the coach, a young coach at that time. Yep. And what a, that's a tough job, man. I mean, to, to oh. manage those egos yes. and those expectations. He would tell you that's his main job. Yeah. I believe it. I mean, I, I you know, obviously he's got Rick Winter diagramming plays for him. I mean, he's, <laughs> he's got other things to worry about. So, I mean, well, but he did such an amazing job of, of managing that team and does not get the credit I think that he deserves. I mean, I think now in hindsight, people give him the credit, but at the time he wasn't getting the credit that he deserved. I mean, so he didn't think LeBron was going to leave. So when LeBron left, yeah. maybe four or five days after, he sends me a text message and he says, do you think the reading react can work at the NBA level? Hmm. And he wants to run it through Bosch at the high post. And so he started meeting with the guy who created the Read and React. And I mean, th- that's the level he goes to. So yeah. I was telling you that, you know, uh, Lee Jenkins wrote the story on Spo, and I was there when he did the interview. And, and Spo had the 16 Eric Spolster Basketball Academy coaches at the Heat facility for a meeting. When, and Lee was there to write the story and observe and all that. Yeah. And he had video of the heat running basically the read and react drills. The same drills that we taught all the coaches from MBBA. And it was just kind of surreal to watch the heat in their workouts doing these things. And then all of a sudden he's like, well, so he started running read and react concepts with the heat and met with the guy who created the offense. Like I said, he just, yeah, that's just how he is. Well, he started, didn't he start as a video coordinator? In the dungeon. So, yeah, which is yeah. So we just talked to Chris Boward about Mike Budenholzer, and that's how Budenholzer started, right? He, yep. he started as video coordinator, unpaid video coordinator for the Warriors or for the Spurs, um, and you know, living off of Subway sandwich coupons and getting paid, you know, ten grand a year. Yep. Uh, and then he goes on to be NBA Coach of the Year and win a title. And so these guys just they love it. Uh, yeah. Uh, we are accepting applications for unpaid video coordinator for the Run TNC podcast. So anyone out there listening, must love zones. Uh, all right, Coach Winner, we've reached crunch time. All right. Uh, is this the lightning round? That's not. The, this is the non light. The non okay. we've we've changed it. Re-branded. We've rebranded. <laughs> we branded. We were giving lightning a bad name. Crunchy. Got it. Um, all right. 
Toughest player you've ever coached against? Casey Jacobson. I mean, we... we you're, you're pandering to my Stanford tendencies yeah, here, we, but that's, we, that's a good, good answer. We, we played him, so we, all, we traded with Glendora. So we went to the Glendora tournament his junior year, yeah. and then he came to the Bambauer his senior year. I remember and that. We played them in the championship game yeah. both times, and I mean, just unstop. I, I wasn't the head coach when Tracy Murray played, so UCLA I mean, legend. Yeah, but I mean, yeah. head to head, I mean, just unstoppable. So Casey uh, played at Stanford um, early two thousands, maybe late nineties, early two thousands. He was a couple years after I was. Um, I, I think at one time he was the all time leading scorer in California history. I think he's second. Yeah. No, he, I think he's third. He's up there. Tracy Murray's second, and the kid from uh, Sacramento is now first. I forget his okay. name. Okay. Yeah. So Casey was just an unbelievable player. What was he? Six five, Rick? Six six? Six six. Just could, a shooter. Um, unbelievable shooter, but could also <coughs> take you and post you up, could put it on the deck. Yeah. And he probably shot 95% from the free throw line. Yeah. Just, just awesome. Okay. Top three players you have ever coached. Wow, that's tough. So I would say uh, Michael Turner. Yeah. I mean, I've never had a player that just saw everything yeah. as well as he did. I mean, he was like three plays ahead of everybody and just and such a great motivator, leader. Yeah. The, the kids wanted to win for him as much as they wanted to win for themselves. I mean, and he led by example. No, no, so... I know this is a Tara thing that I've heard, and you can back this up since you were with yeah. her. I've heard that she supposedly can tell the first week of practice how far the team's going to go based on her best player. That yeah. if her best players are hardest workers, she feels like they got a shot to win a championship. And if she's not, then maybe Elite Eight. Absolutely. Okay. And, yes. And I think that, you know, that 05 team was an overachieving team. People think that it was such a great team just because we had good talent. Like we truly had no post guy. We 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 had a great really good point guard. We had a sophomore starting at the off off guard. Yeah. And no post guy. And all of a sudden we're ranked fifteenth in the state, all divisions, you know, and it's like, why? Because of that guy. Yeah. He 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 was amazing. Yeah. Um and then um Probably a kid named Victor Leslie. So my, f I got the head job at Damien when I was 24 um, by default. Mm -hmm. um, the guy they offered it to turned it down. So I was kind of the only person left as the, the JV coach. So my first year was his first year. He was a freshman and he played all four years mm -hmm. for me. He played at Brown and it's now the con assistant controller for Warner Brothers Pictures. Nice. Uh, really phenomenal player. I mean, very similar player to Mike. Um, yeah, and then Nick Vita, I think, would be the oh, great player. Nick Nick Vita He's played Nick in the adult league. He's hit some big shots against us. Nick Vita, uh, I mean, Nick Vita is by far the toughest kid that I've ever been around. I mean, yeah, just so uh, Salesian. We play, used to play Salesian every MLK day, and Nick was in a hockey tournament because he had a bunch of hockey programs recruiting him, like to leave high school and go live and play professional hockey. He was that good. Wow. And so that that uh, MLK weekend, we let him go play in a... I mean, who am I to tell right. a kid that you can't go 
Yep. If you have a shot to play pro hockey, maybe that's your destiny. So, yeah. so go play. And he flew in and then pl- Sunday night and played, or maybe he even flew in Monday morning and played MLK. We lost to Salesian by 25, and he was awful. He was putrid. He was yeah. unbelievably bad for Nick Vita. And then we played him in the NCS final at Redwood. He went for 29 and 22. Wow. And was and we spanked him. We beat yeah. him by 21. From And we just dominated from start to finish. That was one of the best performances that I've ever seen. And he was just, call him the human pogo stick. It seems like. Yeah. And then he played JC ball in West Virginia and then played at Fordham. And had some, start, at Fordham, they, for the first time in like 31 years, they beat an ACC school and Nick hit the shot in overtime to do it. Oh, very cool. Yeah. That's why he kills us in Dolby. <laughs> um, all right, Rick. Favorite gym in Marin? Oh, I mean, come on, the MC gym. I mean, all right. I, we'll let you have that. I one. mean, the well, for a couple of reasons. One, I just, I just love, I, I love the dome. I mean, yeah. I just love the, and I just think that it's such a huge home court advantage. I mean, you have all that history and the banners and, and um, I don't and, love shooting in that gym. So, Duffy has a comment. Well, you know, the offset um, scoreboard table, right? It gives the, the home <laughs> right? The home coach has more room. It, he does. And it, it's, and it, you know what's funny is that, you know, I was part of the gym renovation and I was so disappointed and frustrated that they made us do that. We wanted the, we wanted the row in the middle like, yeah. like it's supposed to be, but based on ADA and all that, it had yeah. to be offset like that. So frustrating, um, but yes, it, it definitely did does give an advantage to the home. And team. even CYO coaches know that, right? I mean, they will run to get that. Advantage. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Get more yeah. pacing. But it's real just estate. A, I mean, it's. Yeah. I think it's just. I think it's a tough place to play for an opponent. It is. Well, Skaggs was telling us that it used to be the stands were up high. Yeah. Only it was called the pit. Yep. And you, you think that that would be a really make it really tough, right? With the crowd looking down on you. That was before me. Yeah. Um, yeah, that was that was back in the 70s. Yeah. Um okay. Favorite coaching saying aphorism one-liner and you probably have <laughs> you could go into Spolstra's notebook and grab one. No, but. I mean so I was really big on on discipline and being on time. So it's not really mine. I'm, so yeah. Dave Craig, who is still Mike Sia's assistant today. So so Dave yeah. Craig was Jerry Pirro's assistant before me. Yeah. And then he was with me the whole time through MC. He had a two-year break where he went and coached with Bobby Dolan for two years at Branson. Yeah. And then he came back. And then he has been with Coach Sia uh, for the duration. Um, he's a tough Bronx guy. Yeah. You know, his claim to fame is that he held Kareem to like 31 in the first half. <laughs> nice. Uh, <laughs> he's a funny guy. And uh, his, his two state f- favorite things are you got to have the fire in the belly. Yep. You know, you got to have the fire in the belly. But the best one is if you're 10 minutes early, you're five minutes late. There you go. And I, that's, I was big on being on time. Being on time. I mean, you have to do things the right way. So Dave Deneen, which was a great episode, episode five fans, uh, Dave Deneen was an awesome discussion. He's a great guy. And he talked about, you know, just the little things like be on time, be a good teammate, get good grades. Yep. Don't, you know, just follow the team rule. Like do, do the things that you can control, just do those things, right? So Khalil, 
just so you know, I back yeah. it up. So Kalu Bill to this day, we had mass before every game. And he was one minute late to mass. So I benched him for the first half. And we were literally one minute late. And we were playing at Cardinal Newman that night. We ended up losing by five, which mm. ended up costing us home court in NCS. Yeah. And we ended up beating them in NCS at their place. Uh, but to this day, he'll tell you that it set the tone for him when he went to UCLA yep. and played for the Bears. And yeah. he's like, played, played pro football. Yep. He's like, it just set the tone. You yeah. Know? I mean, one minute late to mass. Most coaches probably are like, I want to win the game more. I felt like it was better to send the message to everybody that everybody plays by the same rules. Yep. Great. Um, least favorite coach to coach against in the MCAL, or just not 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 that you dislike <laughs> him or her, but toughest one to to Jonas. Yeah, Jonas and I had some great battles, um, and it's funny. Like you you say, well, he probably wasn't very happy during that run. So, I, so in the two thousands, we won the first four, and he won the next five. Yeah, <clears throat> and really, what I think what it came down to is is that who had the tougher kids in that stretch like I had the Von Telrop Vita yep. Turner who just refused to lose and, he had and then McNally. he had the McNally's yep. the four five years after that I think we played each other like six times in the MCAL final during that time yeah but always the toughest game to prepare for and so when they came in the league I was so disappointed and I'm gonna tell you why my very first experience with Marin basketball was the Drake Summer League yeah and First of all, when we played Drake in the summer league, it so happens in the Chronicle rankings that year, I think they were four and we were five to start the year. Hmm. And But the summer league game, there were a thousand people there. Yeah. And I was like, what is going on here? Yeah. Like now, I really was like, okay, we're in basketball, it's different. You know? right. And then I think our second or third game was against Jonas. And the guy's running four corners, like in a summer league game. And I'm like, what the hell is going on here? The we called that three, Rick. That was our, that was our three play. <laughs> I'm like, so then when they came in the league, I was like, thank God there's a shot clock. Shot clock. But, yeah. but even with the shot clock, it was just so hard to prepare for his teams because, you know, like, so Bobby Donlin yeah. played for me and assisted for him. And Bobby would tell you, like, my teams never went into a game unprepared. I mean, yeah. no, I, I scouted everybody very thoroughly. And Jonas obviously prepared his team. I I, heard, I don't remember who said it. Maybe it's Fulton. Yeah. But my philosophy has always been practice has to be harder than the game as well. Yeah. Like if if we practice our butts off, yeah. Whatever happens in the game, we're ready for. And when you get two guys that are like that, right. I mean, I think be a I think literally ninety five percent of our games were decided by one possession. Yeah. You know, um, I'm not gonna lie. I'm kind of proud that the thirty four and one state championship year that we're the one you're the one we're the one good job rick all right rick <clears throat> it's been um really fun to talk to you the time has flown by but thank you so much for uh taking the time to, to chat with us and thank you so much for all that you've done for marin basketball really. i appreciate you guys having me on what you're doing is awesome love it love awesome. listening to the podcast thank you for the support all right thanks rick thank you take care well Good job, Dave. Great interview. Thank you, Rick, for your time. Great, uh, great answers. And uh, let's get to the quick take. Yeah, quick takes. Thought it was awesome. A uh, few things I, I, I liked. Uh, parents 
the, the whole topic of discussing parents, you know, feedback after a game. Uh, do you want me to give you the feedback as, as your dad or mom or as coach? I think that's just really good feedback for coaches. Um, I really like the 24 hour rule. I think that's really good stuff. Um, you know, I wish I had heard that many years ago. Um, that's, that's, that was fantastic on the player development front. I mean, Phil Handy is fantastic. So if, if, you haven't heard of him or go check him out. I still do his drills as warmups when I'm shooting hoops or, or about to play. Um, so that's, that's really cool that he was in the MC gym all those years ago, working with, uh, with players. And then finally, I just, I love the Eric Spolstra stuff. Great anecdotes, love his kind of down to earth, lack of ego. I'm not surprised by that. Um, I've heard nothing but good things about Spolstra. And so it was, that was neat to hear from Rick about that. So thought it was great. what do you think Duff? Yes, Dave, I liked a, a number of the same aspects of that conversation that you noted, the 24-hour rule, uh, the uh, Phil Handy drills. I had Holden do one of those 10-minute dribbling drills that you found on YouTube uh, for us and sent, sent out, and, and that was great. Uh, I love the discussion of the shell drill, uh, and obviously that's a, a huge component of our practices and for, for many coaches, their practices, and little you know, sort of alterations on the shell drill that can ch change the emphasis, adding some constraints, number of dribbles, or add an advantage to the offense, or, you know, uh, have the offense exchange wings. There's so many different ways you can teach the principles of man-to-man uh, -man, uh, defense that then turns into zone defense, and, you know, and uh, we don't need to rehash all that, Dave. But anyway, I thought it was a great uh, conversation. And uh, the last thing I'll, I'll note is the... Uh, the uh, story about Mike Turner and his time at Marine Catholic and sort of how he evolved his game from you know 15 feet to then 17, 19, and then the trail three, and then becoming an all-around player. I think that's just a great story for us, for anyone coaching at the high school level, and also high schoolers who might want to play in college and parents to think about what is what does that path look like uh, for a particular player, and it, it need not be that exact progression, but uh, something where you are taking a, a big step in your spot in the floor each season as you progress uh, through high school and kind of knowing where you want to be by the time you're going through uh, the recruitment phase. So that was great stuff, and uh, I hope uh, everyone enjoyed it. And before we close, we probably need to do the hand behind the head and do a little player control. Yeah, well, you were also, Rick wanted to oh, make a right, quick right, revision right, right, right. to his, uh, yes, yes, yes. a small revision to his, or uh, addition that's, to his top that's MCAT my, team. That's my player control, Dave. There you go. Yeah, so we did do a little uh, chopping up of the interview uh, because Rick wanted to clarify his top all-time all MCAL team. So I'm going to read off those names now. Yes. Dave. Uh, Michael Turner. Talked about him. Oliver McNally, we've talked about him. Bobby Donnellan, we've talked about him. Will Venable, we've talked about him. And Nick Vita, who came up in the interview. Yep. I don't think we had previously talked about him, but no. we see him in our over thirty-five league. Amazing player. Great player. Yep. Yeah. And currently Skilled, I believe a, I believe Nick is a freshman, one of the freshman coaches at MC. Um, yeah. great guy, great player. So yep. Thank you, Rick, for your revision. Yes. Uh, yeah, let's go player control. I got a few quick ones, Duff. Um, thanks to my friend Tony Butler, uh, San Marin girls varsity coach, who corrected us that 
teams are actually allowed 26 games plus two scrimmages. So before we had said it was 24 plus two, it's actually 26 plus two. Thank you, Coach Butler. And uh, anecdotally, don't sleep on the San Marin girls this year. They're, they're going to be good because Tony can coach defense. And Coach Butler is a potential maybe future sponsor, or so we don't know. Potential sponsor, potential, potential guest, guest potential for sure. Potential guest, yeah. Um, has coached in this league for a long time. Um, yeah, great guy. Um, second, I mentioned in the, we mentioned in the Russ and Owen episode that Scott Kerr was the San Marin player who gave Daryl Rory uh, some challenges that Daryl said was a tough guy to play against. But I didn't mention that the person who gave us that information was our listener, Pete Olson. So thank you, Pete. For that uh, heads up, we appreciate it. And last stuff, I wanted to clarify, qualify, walk back a little bit of my zone uh, venom. Mea culpa. My 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 um my intense dis- dislike for zones. Um, I, I don't dislike zones, people. I, I think zones are great. And if you are a CYO coach, particularly a seventh or eighth grade, who uses zones. That's great. And I've seen some that are very effective where they use man-to-man principles. The thing I don't like is when kids are first learning how to play basketball and they sit in a 2-3 zone and they don't really guard anybody. That's what I, I don't like. So when I was saying that uh, sort of this you know, black and white, look, don't use zones for kids, that's not fair. Um, I just I want every player to understand the importance of man-to-man principles. And if you play a zone, just make sure your kids are incorporating those principles. That's all I was trying to say, Duff. I really like it when you're in the zone, Dave. I see you shooting around. We're doing man in the mirror, and you're in the zone hitting 10 in a row. Yeah, you have no problem with being in the zone. Thank you so so much for that. You're lying. (laughs) Okay, what do you got? Anything else? Uh, I don't... I am not as big of a fan of the zone as I may have come across in that interview. You were were playing devil's advocate. I liked it. It was good. So that's my player control. Um, But for now... I think we can sign off, Dave, right? Awesome. Anything else? Yeah. No, this was a great episode. Thanks again to Rick. Thank you, Duff. Thank you to our sponsors. And we're excited for our next episode, episode 12, coming up in yeah. a week. This uh, has been the Run TMC podcast, a podcast about basketball in the Marin County. Please spread the news. We love our listeners, and we also will love any new listeners that might come around. So give us a try. Burke's on his feet. He looks up and gives me a grin and says, Hey dude, you too must be from Marin.